Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. In today's competitive landscape, financial institutions must adopt a customer-centric culture focused on loyalty and lifetime value in order to thrive. My guest, Wayne McCulloch, Chief Customer Officer at Alchemy Technologies, lays out a proven framework for organizations to become truly customer-obsessed. Join us as we explore how Wayne's seven pillars can guide banks, credit unions, and other financial firms to deliver better customer outcomes. Before we dig into why financial institutions are focused so heavily on customer obsession, can you share a little bit about your career background, Wayne? And after a diverse career around building better customer experiences, what drove you to, to actually join Alchemy? Yeah, great question, Jim, and and thank you for having me on today. Look, personally for me, I've always been on the customer side as a software vendor since the 1990s. I'm aging myself a little bit there, but for me, it's been a huge passion and I've seen tremendous change over that time. But really for me, it's all about the evolution of what we expect as a customer experience whenever we're a customer, because customer experience is really two things. It's how we're treated as a person and was it easy to do and get what we want? That's really all it is. It's not over complex in any way. Um, And so over the years, I've had the fortunate um, experiences with companies such as PeopleSoft in the 90s, uh, HP, early 2000s, um, Salesforce when it was going through its hyper growth stage, worked at Google and some other big, big software tech companies who really invest heavily in that experience side of the equation. And so to answer your question on why Alchemy, First of all, it's just an amazing product, I think, right at the forefront of where the market's moving to. And so that's a great place to be. Management team is exceptional and really focused on the customer. And everyone says they're focused on the customer. Everyone does. Like, no one's going to say we're not. But the reality is through action and behavior, you can tell if, if uh, a leadership team truly puts the customer as the North Star. And Alchemy does. And for me, the fintech world is lagging behind the rest of the world when it comes to amazing, personalized, omni-channel customer experiences. So I feel like I can make a big difference in this space with a company like Alchemy. So what inspired you to write a book covering the building of a customer-centric culture when there are so many customer-centric culture books out there? And why do you feel there is a missing piece in many organizations? And thirdly, what's the biggest missing piece in the financial services industry? Ooh, okay, so it's <laughs> a big question. Okay, this will be the rest of the podcast. Um, no, so first and foremost, the reason I wanted to write the book was, you're right, there is a lot of content out there that, from podcasts to books uh, to YouTube videos to you name it. And um, for me, when I'm going through all those things, it's really difficult to piece them all together. So what you end up doing is you're like, oh, I have a problem here. So let me research how to make that experience better. And so you'll do a bunch of research and then you'll make some changes and you do that over a period of time, but you still don't see the results. And the reason for that is because you're just tackling it piecemeal. And what I realized was there was a miss, there was something missing and it was a framework something that you can anchor all of your customer-centric initiatives around. And so the book, The Seven Pillars, was really written to do that, create a, a framework of seven pillars that you can start to map out where all of your organization sits as far as its uh, maturity for customer experiences. And so for me, that was the impetus to write the book. I feel like, um, you know, 
at the end of the day, when we think about what is the most experienced thing, uh, what's the most important thing in the experience, uh, the reality is it's all really important. And what it depends on is what your customers need from you as a financial institution. And you need to ask your customers, you need to listen to your customers, you need to poll your customers constantly to understand what it is they're looking for from you to be a better vendor, to be a better partner, to, to create a better experience. And so for me, it sounds like I'm dodging the question, but the reality is no. each financial institution that I talk to, I find that there are different elements where they're strong and where they're weak. And what we want to do is understand what their members or customers are telling them to say, I need this to be better. This needs to be easier. And one really simple example is your digital banking experience. I need that to be simple, easy, in my hand, and it just works. And so for me, that you know, that's a critical selling point of Alchemy as a product, for example. But every financial institution might have something very different that it needs to go focus on. And the only way to know is to ask your customers. So what are the seven pillars? The seven pillars really are, first of all, it's the operationalization of your customer experience. What I mean by that is you map out your customer journey. Most companies do that. And you start identifying moments of truth. These are the things that happen that a customer or a member interacts with you as a brand and you have to be amazing. And there are many of these and they can be in person, can be online, can be in a branch, can be in many different locations. But the goal is to map out all of those moments of truth and then determine who owns that experience, who owns that, who's responsible for delivering a great experience at that moment in time. Is it your website? Is it the branch manager? Is it your digital banking app? Like what, what is going to own it? And then being able to see exactly how good you are at each of those moments of truth. And that's the first pillar because it's all about getting set up for being able to do this at scale. The, the, the next five pillars all focus on the customer journey itself. So how do we onboard a new customer or member? What does that experience look like? And I can tell you, I've had some really bizarre experiences ranging from horrible to like the app doesn't work or like I didn't get the paperwork I needed. I didn't get the debit card I signed up. Like there's all these horrible experiences and other onboarding where I get a little welcome kit. I get a little, you know, bit of swag in there, a little note from the, the branch manager saying, thank you for joining. We're really excited, like really different experiences. And this is all about how you onboard someone into your financial institution. The next part is then adoption, which is how do I get them, how do I get our, our members, our customers to adopt the capabilities of what we offer as a financial institution? And that could be through loans or credit card payments or through any myriad of different offerings, you know, checking your credit score online, like any, any of these things that, how do I get adoption of that? And be thinking about how to bring a customer through that process. Then there's retention, which is how do I retain our client base? And that one's a really tough one because you can, it's easy to see when someone leaves, but it's too late. So how do you know, how are you listening for signals that tell you, oh, this could be someone that's going to be leaving us very soon and react to that in real time. The next part is expansion. This is like, how do we expand the suite of offerings that we can present to an individual that helps with retention, improves adoption, but ultimately grows your bank, whether it be deposits that you're trying to grow, more loans you're trying to make, or any myriad of um, other offerings you have. And then finally, advocacy. This one's a, the most nascent part of the whole industry, which is how do I take existing people that love my experience I'm providing as a financial institution and tell people about it? 
And I've only seen one or two companies do this really well. And the first one I remember was like SoFi, like creating the member experience to be so unique. They go out and tell everyone. And that company grew like wildfire because it focused on the experience. And that is something unique and different. And so that's that whole advocacy piece. And the last part is strategic advisor. How are you being a strategic advisor to your members and customers? Not sending generic, you know, mass emails that say, hey, check out what's going on in the new, in the in the economic world today and things you should know, but really thinking about the financial maturity from a experience perspective of your members, of your customers, like are they really adequately prepared for what's going on right now? in a financial aspect of their lives and can you assist can you help can you be a strategic advisor whether that's through wealth management or refinancing a home loan or what but knowing the right thing to ask most financial institutions today i just get a random i get it every every two days i get a, a spam from the bank hey you should check out new car loans i'm like I don't, i'm not in the market for a new car loan what a waste of my time not really yours because it's all automated, but it shows how little you know about me or care, right? So I'm, I have very little attachment to that financial institution. I recently opened up a new uh, credit union account here in Colorado because I can have a very personalized relationship with the people there. They can have personalized conversations with me there that I just find my other bank can't. And so for me, I'm looking for that experience and looking for a strategic advisor that can help me with things I need when I need it. So I find it interesting. I've known Alchemy for quite a long time. They function, the functionality and the ability to work with financial institutions to bring services to bear, to bring solutions to bear, to make the customer experience better. But it's interesting that they hired you. And I say that only because a lot of institutions really focus on selling the pieces, but really don't necessarily service or go that final mile in helping the financial institution actually implement the products. Can you talk a little bit about what your daily role is within Alchemy and as it relates to the customers that you sign up for Alchemy services? Yeah. So uh, while I'm relatively new to Alchemy, like I said, one of the reasons I came here was because of that customer centricity. Um, but what they were missing was a framework in order to anchor that on and to really drive it home. So while I say they actually do a really good job, I feel like there's tremendous opportunity to gap the rest of the competitors in the marketplace from an experience standpoint. And no one can argue that we don't have an amazing product. Like it just scores so well. We're growing members faster than any other financial institu- um, any other vendors in our space selling to financial institutions. And when you look at the, the apps, um, the uh, app store scores that the, the apps get, you know, the four eights, the four nine, like it's a tremendous experience for members and customers. And I feel like what we can also now do is create that unique experience for the financial institutions that we help arm with this amazing technology to go um, provide to their clients. And, and for me, that is a big opportunity here to separate ourselves because this is really hard. I've worked at some pretty complex companies before. Like think of HP where we could do a deal that would have 700 SKUs on the deal. Like the complexity of putting that together is huge, right? Look at Google where I had 7.1 million customers on the workspace platform. Like how do you manage that? How do you make sure everyone's having success? Like there's complexity, but nothing like this 
When you're going in and ripping out your digital banking platform, you might be replacing your core. These are things you do every 5, 10, 20 years. They're not regular occurrences. And the complexity of all the interlocks with all the third-party vendors could be 20, 30, 40, 50 vendors, all at once coming together for a launch of a new digital... The complexity is massive. And so the opportunity here is not only to create a very smooth and relaxing, as if I can use that word, implementation experience, but after that go live, what does that experience look like as you begin to add and expand more products and open up more innovations to your client base? How can we make that a seamless experience? And then, of course, when you get stuck and you need support, how can we provide that in a fast an incredibly accurate way. And they're the things that I'm here to do is to create the next level of experience for all of our clients. Well, it's interesting because very much in the way you wrote your book, it sounds like you're trying to bring structure to the process where all the services Alchemy offers, you can put them into product silos, you can put them into solution silos, but the reality is it's all about moving a customer along the customer journey in a satisfactory or extraordinary way. And so you can not only bring these, these insights to Alchemy as how they serve their clients, but really to Alchemy's clients as to how those clients serve the customer, the end customer. So it's a B to B to C type implementation. But to your point, it, it really sounds to me like you're bringing structure to the process that says, let's make sure that everything we do fits into this mold of a better customer success principle, correct? Absolutely right. One thing I find, and I, I look at this, this is not just in this industry, this is widespread, that you have a lot of teams who care about the customer. So you'll have a support team all about solving customer problems. You have an implementation team all about deploying for the customer. You have a customer success team all about ensuring enduring value and continued value um, accretion with the investment made in the technology. And you'll find these groups all operating with the customer in mind. The problem with this is you have silos you have these individual teams driving what they think is the best result. And what's commonly missing in a lot of organizations is the horizontal group that sits across all those functions. And I call that the customer engagement and experience organization. That's the team that's looking at what's the experience clients are having moving between these groups, for example. Because sometimes they're pretty messy. You've all you've all been there where you contact support and you're like, oh, I've got this problem. They're like, well, let me just send you through to someone else and someone send right. you to someone else. And you get around this envelope. No, and everyone who's getting it's getting it for the first time. So they're asking you the question, what's your problem again? And you're like, oh, I've already explained this three times. And then it goes to the next person. You'd go through it again. And that next person thinks, oh, I've only had this for one minute, but you've been waiting three days and you still haven't got your answer. And who's the fun what's the function that's looking at all of these hand handoffs between organizations and making sure that someone is accountable someone's communicating back with the client and being regularly you know updating them letting them know what's going on. who's managing all of that and that's the bit that always gets um forgotten when we start thinking about everyone's oh yeah we're all customer centric but without this layer across the top how can you hope to cross those seams and chasms that the customers are constantly trying to jump to work within your own organization? It's really hard for them to do. So we're finding more and more in the research that we're doing that customers are becoming less loyal. They, they may not change their accounts, 
but their overall relationship is expanding because they're opening more and more accounts outside their, what may have been considered at one point, their primary financial institution. So how can financial institutions leverage your customer success principles to improve retention, loyalty, engagement during times of economic uncertainty and volatility? It makes a consumer feel like they need more. Yeah, I think it starts, as I said, it starts with the onboarding. What does that experience look like? And too often we forget um, that the process in opening an account should be simple and easy. I should be able to just do it online in minutes and be done. But then when I've done that, then what do I get from the bank? Do I get a thank you, a congratulatory? Do I get a gift card? Do I get some swag? Do I get anything at all? A personalized note from Jamie Diamond? I don't know, but think about like, what could you get that would be in a crazy cool experience when you open up? And that's my very first real interaction with a new financial institution. But then moving through, like, how do you get me to adopt the capabilities, for example, of your new app? So one of the big trends we see right now is in-app messaging, and it's personalized to me. So when I go in and I'm constantly looking at my checking account, I look at my, my credit card balance, there's 25 other things I could be doing on the app, but I might not know it's there or, or, or even be, not be bothered because I don't really know what value there is. But imagine if a little note popped up and said, hey, we noticed that um, you haven't checked your credit score uh, since you've been on this app. We'd love for you to check out this cool feature we bring to you at no cost. And you're like, oh, cool, I'll check it. Now, now that's part of my routine. And over time, I start adopting more and more and more of the capabilities of the digital banking platform, for example. And suddenly, I'm now doing everything there. And why would I go anywhere else? Because everything's being done there. There's just some simple examples, but the reality is, you know, you are right that loyalty is moving away. Why? Because customer service is getting worse. Customer experiences are getting worse. Have you noticed that? Like, we, and we complain about it all the time, but we don't do anything about it. We just complain. Well, my expectations are also getting greater because, you know, I'm getting some great experiences now where Amazon, for instance, or Uber even continues to stay in contact with me and offer me more elements that are aligned with what they have found me to want. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you're seeing these, these best organizations moving away from transactions to engagement. And you, you talk about it in your book, moving away from customer relationships to strategic partnerships, which I thought was brilliant because it's really increasing the value transfer to make it so customers seek you out to do not transactions, but interact with you. Correct? Absolutely. I have less time to chase, project manage, to hold accountable other institutions I work with. I want that to be done for me. I think one of my favorite examples is my wife and I were lucky enough to buy a Tesla many, many, many years ago. And I remember pulling into the garage and it popped up on the console. It said, we've detected there could be a problem with the car. And I'm like, oh, Okay, that's pretty cool. It's it's detecting there may be a problem. I don't know. Secondly, it says, we've already alerted the service um, dealership. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Like, I, don't, I didn't have to do it. And then it said, we've got some dates and times available here. Do any of these work for you? We'll send someone over to check it out. And I'm like, press a button, I'm done. That was it. That was my whole involvement with a problem with the car. I didn't have to call. I didn't have to go online and find a time. I didn't have to drive to the deal. I didn't have to wait. I didn't have to get a loaner car. I didn't have to do any of that. And so that for me is like, oh, I'm only ever buying this car again because 
all this is taken care of. My experience is amazing. And the experience it gave me back was time, the most valuable resource on the planet. And, and it takes all that stress and headache away. And so for me, looking at, you know, from a financial institution, what are the things you can be doing that can give back time to people that can create a great memorable experience that's personalized and sure you know we can we can leverage generative ai we can we can do all this cool stuff but the the only thing that matters is is that experience for the individual are we treating them like an individual not a mass marketed person i'm just sending a blast to on email and are we making it easier for them to get what they want and need whatever those services are answer those two questions yes and yes you're going to win you know, it, it's interesting. You talk about making it easier and taking, giving me time back. You know, part of the customer success journey includes, obviously, measuring results. And while NPS has been a dominant metric for quite some time and still is, what drives the need for an additional metric such as a customer effort score, which you're a real proponent of? Yeah, I'm just, I, you're going to get me really uh, on a soapbox here, Jim, because for well, me, I, like, I figured this is what you wanted to talk about. So I'm going to get you there. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you, like, I've seen so many companies put so much value behind an NPS score, and it's just a waste of time. Look, look to be fair, someone's w just woke up recently and said, oh, look, NPS is only measuring perceived behavior at a specific point in time. It's not measuring actual behavior. And more often than not, those two numbers actually never, never match up. Imagine this, humans don't always do what they say they're gonna do, <gasps> shocker. So putting all your stock in an NPS score because a high percentage of survey takers said they'll recommend your product, isn't a really good idea because it doesn't mean they actually will or won't, you don't know. And using NPS to make major business decisions is extremely problematic. So don't, if you're doing it today, don't do it. Just stop doing it. You know, here's a personal example. I've said recently, well, not recently, five years ago, but recently I remember telling the story. I'm like, I, five years ago, I said, I hate my bank. I'm going to leave them. And five years later, I'm still with the bank, right? My intent doesn't match my behavior. It's oh, exactly. Exactly right. We, I mean, and it's getting worse because it's hard to leave. It's not hard <laughs> to diversify. Yeah. Right. So it's easy to add on another financial services product or vendor uh, institution than leave the one I'm at. I've set up all my bill pay. I got all that going, right? But but I'm slowly moving away. And this is typical in human behavior. It's easy to talk a big game. It's really hard to follow through. And so for me, MPS is all about perceived behavior and intent that may never happen. So why measure that? Customer effort score, on the other hand, that's capturing an actual behavioral experience that a customer already went through. So you're not trying to gauge if they're going to do something or not do something, you're just measuring what they went through. And it's based on more on reality than NPS ever could be because NPS is just measuring a, an, in, an intent, a perceived behavior. So for me, the CES score is basically one of the best measures of how good your customer experience is. Remember I said customer experience is two things. How well do you treat me and how easy is it for me to transact or do what I need or find what I want? The customer effort score really takes care of that second piece. Was the effort for you to get this problem resolved, this new service um, activated, this um, uh, something that you specifically didn't even know you needed but was presented to you and consumed in an easy way, that CES score is basically tracking how good you are as an institution at doing that. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I'd say the other element of that 
was customer empathy score. You know, how much empathy did your the organization show you in trying to help you get to where you want to go? And as you said, the customer effort score is, did you get me there easily? Um, yeah. In your opinion, how does customer effort score differ in capturing the nuances of the customer experience compared to an MPS score? Um, look, I, I, if we start with the belief that customer experience is a really important aspect of banking today, then we need to believe that every strategic decision we make has to put the member or customer at the center of those decisions. So banks and financial institutions obviously need to be digitally transformed to deliver consistent banking experiences, whether it's online or retail. Um, so it's really important. Um, I remember reading recently in the digital banking report, they found that, in, and this is in quotes, improving the customer experience in banking should be the first goal of banking institutions and financial services providers. Why is that? Well, because CES customer effort score can be a proxy for tracking how sophisticated we are when it comes to these seamless and personalized interactions along someone's journey. And so um, for me, the customer effort score really is something that should be driving a lot of your decisions when it comes to strategic um, strategic decisions you have to make because it is driving the ultimate experience, which is the only real differentiator in the market. You can have different products, you can have different rates for CDs or something transient from time to time, but that's only temporary. The, the long game is keeping a customer for life and you do that through making it all about them and making it easy for them to do business with you. So in banking, do you see the improvement of a customer effort score being more of a top of glass change or behind the glass change? In other words, is the back office more responsible for driving the customer effort score than simply the nice nuances of the customer user experience? <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's a really good question because the answer is you need both, obviously. When you're thinking about um, what is more important, I, I don't think that's uh, a valid question to ask because I don't think either is more important, but they need to be integrated. And so when you think about um, the technology we have today, and the amazing things we can do, even in the last 12 months, you can see amazing experience. We can now provide insights, data, information, knowledge, all those things. You, you couple that with an omni-channel experience driven by a technology solution. Um, at the end of the day, I always talk about you've got to add HI, human intelligence, to AI as an example, artificial intelligence. Combining them both gives you the best of both worlds. Depending on the gen, think of the generation spans, you know, people like the, the baby boomers and the Gen Xs, we still love to be on the phone. We really do. We don't, not necessarily all the time and not necessarily calling our friends. And we've integrated tap, you know, chat and WhatsApp and other stuff into our lives. But ultimately, we're still comfortable talking to someone on the phone. But talk about sort of a Gen Z, for example, they don't ever want to be on the phone. They don't understand why we're on the phone. What's the phone even for? I've got all these other ways of connecting and communicating, whether it's through social and through my phone, through instant messaging, whatever it is, there's just a plethora of other ways. And so you have to build technology stack that accommodates all of these generations of people that want to use and leverage um, the services that you provide. And so for me, you've got to have that technology infrastructure. You've got to modernize because if you don't, you get left behind. But you've got to have those people. You talked about empathy. Empathy is super critical, especially in the service industry, 
But the one thing that people miss, and and I didn't realize this till maybe 10 years ago in my career, because I'm like, I have a highly empathetic organization, but I'm not creating great experiences. Why is that? And the reason being is, Think of Zappos, right? Great example. Everyone talks about his amazing experience. And, and why? Because it had empathy. Yes, all its people that work there, amazing empathy for their people. I think Chewy is another example of a company that has incredible empathy from its employees, but it didn't have customer centricity. Uh, um, the other organizations don't have customer centricity. So Chewy, absolutely. Yeah. Zappos, absolutely. Oh. Where they, they give the people at the front line, the power, the authority, the ability to make it right, no matter what, if it's sending something for free, sending you know, flowers because their, their, their love dog passed away or whatever, like this is all about customer centricity married with empathy wrapped in technology. That's who wins every time. Well, it's interesting because that's what Four Seasons is always known for, the fact that they got it from behind the desk. They, they, they didn't have the rules that said, you have authority up to $50. You know, they had the, deci- they had the decision-making power to make it right, no matter what it took, and they didn't get criticized for it. You know, one of the big challenges in financial services and, and somewhat in other industries as well is our silos. The silos just create so much friction behind the scenes. What does it take to break down those silos and align better around the customer as opposed to the product? So there's a very simple technique I use at every company I've worked at or helped uh, consult and advised with. And that is every time we make a decision, the first question you ask is, what does that impact on the customer? And I've seen organizations that in their mind, they've structured internally to make it as efficient and easy as possible to do things because truthfully in their mind, they're like, in the end, that's better for the customer. If we're operating more efficiently and effectively, that's better for the customer. But if you actually look at the customer and see the experience, you're like, well, that's a horrible experience. They have to wait three days to get an answer because internally you've routed some sort of queuing system to make sure the right person answers it the first time. But the reality is you're making the customer wait. And so if you start putting the customer at the center versus, in that case, your organization, you look at it very differently and go, well, that won't work because that's a better, that's a worse experience for the customer. How do we drive a better experience for the customer? And so I think asking that simple question, what is the customer experience as a result of this particular decision, that can guide you majority of the time into making the right decision for customer experience. I think the harder, longer challenge is how do I build a technology strategy and a people strategy? Jim, I've always said that customer success is only done through employee success. If you don't make your employees successful, you can never get to that end game of the customer success. So whether that's paying people better, better benefits, like listening to them, enabling them, encouraging them, mentoring, coaching, all the things that an employee needs to be successful, if you're not doing those things first, all of these customer-facing initiatives will fall down at some point because they're driven by people and you need those people to be successful at their job in order to be successful for the customer. So, Wayne, looking forward, what are some of the emerging metrics or strategies you foresee playing a more pivotal role in shaping the customer experience? Look, I think, you know, we have some backward looking metrics like the customer effort score, like what was the experience you just had? 
And the hope is that's going to drive changes that drive different outcomes in the future for our customers. And so there's a number of metrics that we can look at. Um, and it really comes down to you're trying to, the difficult part here is I'm trying to marry metrics that my customer cares about with metrics that my employees care about, with metrics that my stakeholders and shareholders care about. And so you've got the difficult challenge of working out what are the metrics that drive each of those three that can align at some point throughout the organization to ensure I can do all three. And so whether that's, you know, I might profitability is really, really important. Well, I could do that two ways. I can cut costs, cut fire people, close brain. I could do all that sort of stuff and make a profit. Or I can work out what the most profitable products are that we offer and work out a strategy on how to get adoption in my current client base to adopt more of that while bringing new clients in and attracting them to the bank. That can also drive profitability. Well, one's really easy and one's really hard. And it's pretty obvious when you look at organizations, which one they err towards. And so for me, it's really understanding what are the key metrics across those three constituents, your client base, your employee base, and your, your shareholders and stakeholders? What are those metrics and being able to map them out and then make sure that whatever processes you've got in place to go drive those outcomes are aligned? And that's what customer experience is all about. How do I align those three things together? So finally, what are two or three examples of organizations that you really believe are getting this right, at least more than the normal range of organizations. And then finally, on the other side of that is, what stands in the way of financial institutions achieving that high level? Look, I think uh, to answer the second part of the question, it's just vision. That's all it is. I got a real example here. I went into my traditional bank I've been with for, for 15 years, and I went into their branch, and they had a coffee machine and some cookies. And I'm like, good for you for trying to shake it up, you know, like, we, we, you know, and, and I'm, I said to the person, I'm like, oh, is this free? And they're like, yeah, we, we, we make this available to all our customers who come in because, you know, you're sitting there and you're waiting and you want to have a coffee and a, we want to make the experience more enjoyable. And I'm thinking, you know, kudos to you for trying. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is you're addressing the wrong problem. So what they're saying is because you're here and waiting, you have to wait. <laughs> we're going to give you coffee and biscuits. And I'm like, why don't you solve the problem of me waiting and getting me in and out? Because that time factor is so critical, right? Then I went into a credit union here uh, in Colorado called Canvas Credit Union. I walked in, person met with me immediately. What do you need? I asked them, they said, cool, let me show you over here to my personal suite. I'm like, what's a personal suite? And I open it up and there's like a couch and a pot plan, big screen TV. Like it looks like a living room with a person. And I go in there and I sit down and I'm like, should I lie on the couch and tell you my problem? Like I don't know what's going on because I'm like, how is this even a financial institution? And the person starts asking me questions about what I was looking for. And he's, he's showing his screen on the big, the big television. So it's not like he's behind the keyboard tapping, you know, like the, I think it's meet the Fockers where the, the, the airline agent at the gate right. are tapping incessantly. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. Like I'm seeing everything. Nothing was hidden. It was very transparent. I was in this great environment. It was very relaxing. Had a great conversation. Felt like I wanted to invite him to my wedding if, if I wasn't married already, like just all really quickly. And then I, I left and I'm just like that, is an amazing experience that I don't have at the other place that had coffee and biscuits. And so for me, I'm like, just vision, think about the experience and what you want it to be, what the person needs it to be. 
And so um, I think that's a really important factor. But one of my favorite stories about customer centricity was I was at the Denver airport and I was uh, flying somewhere. I went through clear and I had to wait for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is weird. I'm paying an extra fee to get this expedite through the airport and still I'm waiting. And so um, they sent me a survey um, and I gave them a pretty bad score. Within one hour, the manager from that location reached out to me and said, I'm really sorry for what happened. Here's what happened. Person called in sick. We have not planned for what happens when someone calls in sick. We have now decided to put a protocol in place to have a backup emergency person, blah, blah, blah. Just went through this whole explanation of what happened and said, if you ever wait again, here's my personal cell phone, call me. I'll jump on it, do whatever I can to help you. And I'm like, that's amazing customer service. It's personalized to me. It heard what I said and explain to me what happened. So I'm not off telling everyone how bad clear is. I'm like, oh yeah, no, they probably should have done better. Let's hope they do better next time. Sounds like they've got it in hand. Like I'm, I'm not getting mad about it now. I'm just like, yeah, that happens too. People get sick at work. You can't, at least now they're aware and they've got a, a plan to fix it. And so for me, you do the same as a, as a bank, as a financial institution, when someone's upset about something, you know, care about it because that person's going to tell others and so on and so on. And so at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, having a vision of what you want the experience to be and being able to measure where you're at at any point in time and take action at that point, that's what's most critical. You know, it's interesting you you bring up that example, and I have a similar example that people on the podcast have heard some of it at, at different points, but basically I had a, a not satisfactory experience with Delta Airlines, and that's unusual for me because they, they do a really, really good job almost all the time. But I had a, a first-world problem in my uh, travels from overseas, and I realized it wasn't going well, and I reached out to different channels. I reached out to the chatbot. It was not satisfactory. I reached out online. That was not good. I elevated what I consider elevating it to social media. The response was less than expected. And then I just sent an email and hoped to get hear back from them. The first, per, the first thing the person did that got back to me, they called instead of emailing. And they said, we realize you've been all over all of our customer service channels. I want to apologize because we're not doing a really good job of bringing these together the way we should we're really working on making so you don't have to restate your problem every time. So they nailed what my issue was. And then they gave me an extraordinarily positive result to my problem. They gave me a refund. And I wasn't expecting that. But the reality is what really stuck more than anything else was the way they reached out and recognized we don't have it right yet, but we're working on it. And that left a better impression. And as a result... I have told a whole lot more people about the positive experience from my negative experience <laughs> and, and, and given kudos to Delta for at least continually to get things better. And I think, you know, as customers, we know what's possible now because especially in financial institutions, we know how much information is being held. The challenge is if you never use it, it doesn't do me any good. You know, I, I use the saying, I, the customer wants you to know me, understand me, and reward me. And that reward me doesn't mean points. It may not even be a financial remuneration. What it is, is reward me by knowing and doing something about it, doing that final mile. Wayne, it has been great to have you on the show. I am going to have you back. We're going to talk more and more about the different pillars, but even more about what you're seeing in the marketplace as you work with Alchemy to visit clients, to do things both internally to Alchemy, but externally to make it so that 
When you're implementing new solutions from Alchemy, you're actually improving the customer experience as opposed to simply changing things. So th again, thank you so much for being on the show. All no right, Jim, thanks for having me. I look forward to our next conversation. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we've received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasledge, audio engineer, Chris Fafalias, and video producer, Will Pritz. If you've not already done so, remember to subscribe to Banking Transformed on both your favorite podcast app and on YouTube for more thought-provoking discussions on the intersection of finance, technology, and leadership. And as our guest today says, customer adoption is achieving operational dependence while simultaneously achieving business value by using the right features and functionality for the solution. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.